All right, hey, we're we're back, everybody. It's uh, Andy and Greg coming live on tape to you from uh, Chicago and Toronto. Another episode of Inside the Echo Chamber. It's a pleasure to be back. I tell you what, you know, I was looking at the internet the other day here, and it's all over Twitter. It's everywhere. This this chat GPT stuff. Yeah, you familiar with that? I tried to get familiar. I went to, I went to try to log on, and it said. Sorry, not sorry. We're full right now. You, really? you could leave your email and we'll get back to you when yeah. we have time for you. And I've yet to hear. So I'm being ghosted by a chat AI mm. right now. <laughs> I should, you know what I should do? I should ask that chat AI what I should do for my midlife crisis. That's what I should That's do. That's what we should do. There's a whole episode. Right, we'll there. work on that. The point is that, uh, you know, with the chat GPT stuff, talking about AI, that's what we're going to talk about today, too. We've got a, uh, a great guest today. And I think uh, everybody is going to find uh, find this pretty interesting. Sounds like fun, don't it, Greg? It does. Hey, I'm not above jumping on a bandwagon when the when right the- on. <laughs> when when things get hot, you got to grab them. That's it. Anyway, without any further ado, uh, let's get into it. All right, everybody. Our guest today has uh, a long background and experience in leading machine learning and AI research and development in the field of medical imaging, specifically, which is. Awesome news for us, Greg, because she's also uh, Echo's VP of Artificial Intelligence. And of course, we're talking about the always personable, the always entertaining, the always much smarter than Greg and I, Dornoosh Zanubi, PhD. Prior to joining Echo, Dornoosh was the co-founder of Meadow, which was a startup focused on uh, developing cutting-edge AI technologies to simplify the use of ultrasound, including leading that company to uh, creating two FDA-cleared products is no easy feat. To date, she's got numerous patents, numerous peer-reviewed publications in the area of medical image processing. She's also a member of the Commercialization Working Group of the Government of Canada's Advisory Council on Artificial Intelligence. Uh, She got her master's and PhD in uh, computer vision and machine learning from the National University of Singapore, completed her postdoc fellowship in 3D ultrasound analysis in the radiology department at the University of Alberta in Canada, She's joining us today from the even greater white north than where we're at, Greg, in Toronto today. It's cold and snowy here, but it's dark and cold and snowy, I think, up in Edmonton. Uh, is it not, Dornoosh? Uh, how are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Andy, for the introduction. It is not too cold in here. <laughs> it is dark uh, because it's early, but it's not too cold. These days have been uh, really nice. Good. So- good, good. We're having some it's, fun. Uh, is it snowing there today? Are you getting snow up no, there? No, not, not really. No, no, we don't have good. We're we're winning here in Toronto. Usually, usually can't win a winter battle with Edmonton, but uh, (laughs) but today we do have some white stuff. It'll probably all melt, (laughs) but but we're surviving. We're We're surviving here. We're here. We're here. I can't wait for today. You know, I've been looking forward to having you on Dornoosh, especially to talk about AI and leverage uh, your expertise there. I know Andy has. uh, Written some pretty tough questions here for you today, so hopefully, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to it. We're going to be testing testing your knowledge quite deeply. You know, we're very technical on this podcast. Yeah. very technical. Bring it on. No, yeah, right. Well, yeah, there we have come it out then. swinging, right. Andy. There's a All tough right. one. Well, here's, here's a tough, a tough one. one right off the back. We're starting with the basics. Uh, you know, it's a question that a lot of people have. We hear a lot about you know companies in this market that have you know AI tools, and they at least they say they do. You know. But I think there's a lot of misperception or mis, uh, you know, understandings around what's the difference between actually what what is AI versus machine learning versus ML, right? And and is there a difference there? And and when you look around the the market today, are people creating really creating AI, or is it a different kind of of machine learning from your view? 
That's a good one. Let me start with the difference of AI and ML, because nowadays we are, we are really using these two words interchangeably. They're closely related, but not quite the same. Starting with AI, I would say AI is a broad term that refers to the goal, to what we are trying to achieve, to the ability of a machine or a software to simulate human intelligence. And it's in its narrow form, to perform tasks that would typically require human intelligence, such as understanding natural uh, language or recognizing images, or in our specific case at ECHO, we're talking about the ability of an expert to use an ultrasound device to acquire images and interpret them. Now, one way or method of building AI is through what we call machine learning. And that is rather than programming rules for the machine, saying, for example, if X happened, then do Y, we let the machine learn through ingesting vast amount of data to basically recognize patterns and make predictions or decisions based on that data. Now, you talked about lots of companies claiming to have AI, and we, we already have a term for that called AI washing, which refers to using the term <laughs> AI while marketing products when there is no true AI capabilities or when the AI component is not really that significant. Um, right. And when it comes to medical imaging, this is this can be uh, really problematic because obviously uh, because of the high stakes involved. Um, and sometimes when you dig deeper in, in the claims, you'll see companies not do not have the necessary expertise or even access to the amount of data and type of data that is required for machine learning. But that being said, there are many companies and research groups that are doing cutting edge work in AI as well. We're going to name some of them here, Andy. Gonna, is, that, is, this the, is this the right time and place? No, 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 I, don't, I think so. Yeah, that's the right way to go. Yeah, we're good. But I did want to. I did want to go along the lines. You know, there's a lot out there. A lot of publications that have happened uh, on AI, and, and what to hear about is biased in AI. And mm-hmm. I just wondered if you could explain that to us. What What is the biased in AI? What's the current state of that in the industry today? And and how, how do you go about making sure you avoid avoid that happening in your AI algorithms? Great. Biases in AI is such a hot topic these days. And I want to start with saying biases are natural and a product of human nature. Now, AI can be a devil-edged sword. It can minimize the human bias by making the decisions more objective, but it can also inherit that and amplify that bias. If, I, if we want to talk about the sources of that bias, I would say data will come definitely on the top of that list. And right. as you know, obtaining medical data that is diverse and balanced is truly a major challenge in the industry. Many companies are still relying on data that is coming from very limited number of sources. And unfortunately, these data sets are not always representative of real clinical settings. And that's why we hear about biases um, all over the literature and all over the media. In our case, it is very helpful that at ECHO, we have access to an extensive library of millions of ultrasound images that are collected from different geographical locations, from diverse populations, and from varying kind of healthcare facilities, from large tertiary centers all the way to small community-based clinics. But we don't just rely on that. We make sure to directly examine the performance of our AI on multiple subgroups, um, like gender, age, device manufacturers, locations, and I think most importantly, we make sure that this information is available to our users. You might be surprised in a recent study, they showed less than 2% 
2% of manufacturers are presenting such data. Wow. And we want to make sure that the limitations of the AI and of our algorithm is transparent to the user. And I truly believe this is, this is the fundamental part. As a part of our product, we report something like, a, I, would say, I can call it the confidence level of AI, which means how confident AI is in the result as being generated, or basically how close is this data to the data that the network has been trained on. And I personally feel this is, this is the uh, crucial part to, to give clarity and control to the user when it comes to AI. Mm. Does it make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely Perfect makes sense. sense. Yeah, Perfect no, it, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that, um, you know, I, it, it's interesting you talk about the 2% piece of this, because I think there's only so much you can do, right? There's no like exactly. perfect answer, right, to creating a, a completely 100% bias-free, you know, thing when, when like you said, and it's being inherently, at least at the beginning of it anyway, inherently created by people. And, and like you said, it's natural that that's, it's almost impossible to, to completely eliminate it. But I think it, the interesting point is the communication of it, right? The, the acknowledgement of it, the, you know, the pub, making that information public or making, you know, it more, at least whatever biases might be there, you know, at least make people aware of that, right? I think that's a, a, a good thing. And I'm surprised more people, you know, more companies don't do that. But um, but like you said, it's a, a popular topic today. And, and so no doubt that that number hopefully will rise going forward. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit in terms of AI. And, and, you know, you've got a couple of these, you know, FDA clear products. And so I know you've thought a little bit about this over the years, but, you know, we've seen a lot of companies in the market, you know, with different AI tools. And I think this is true, obviously not just in ultrasound, right? I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of different, um, you know, medical you know, imaging AI, you know, tools that are out there in CT, MR, et cetera. But in the world of kind of point of care ultrasound and, and, and that we live in, there's a lot of companies that a lot of them are pretty small, right? From your view, having been in the, in the, the chair, you know, as one of the founders of Meadow, how did you view the possibility of getting this, these products into, you know, into ultrasound machines and into the hands of users, you know, over, you know, over, over the years, I think, you know, we're seeing it, the market is really trying hard. And I think a lot of people are really interested in this. However, it's been hard, like it's been difficult to get this into, you know, the hands of users on all those ultrasound machines that are out there. What, what do you, what are your view on, on how that could, you know, can be improved or where you thought that might go? you know, when you were looking at this as part of Meadow? Andy, let me start with this. I truly believe AI will be the main growth driver of the focus market. Mm-hmm. Currently, the difficulty of using ultrasound and the training required in uh, is the main barrier to adopting point-of-care ultrasound. And you had a great podcast with that on that uh, with Aaron. The cost of ultrasound hardware has been reducing drastically over the past decade, as you know much better than I do, and the accessibility of the technology is increasing. But if you think about it, the training barrier has not really changed that much. It is still as difficult to acquire and interpret images as it was 10 years ago. So yes, there are many ultrasound education programs and courses out there, and they have for sure helped the adoption so far, but this alone will not solve the problem at scale. AI has the potential of changing this, and if we manage, I believe if we manage to develop uh, develop seamless and scalable AI technologies to truly simplify the use of ultrasound and drop the learning curve, 
adoption will inevitably follow. But developing something like that is obviously super, super challenging for many different reasons, including one, one reason is access to the kind of data that is required for such kind of application. Right. When you, when you looked at that, you know, when you were starting Meadow and you kind of said, okay, we've got these products, did you think about like how you, you guys might, you, you needed to try and, and partner with all the manufacturing companies, the ultrasound companies, for example, to try and help you know, advance that vision or, you know, I know there's, there's kind of what I, I guess I call them clearing houses, almost AI distributors, if you will, that kind of have a, you know, different sites where you can go in and partner up with them and they can bring together a lot of different solutions for you. I mean, that's one way to go about this. You know, I, I look at this and, and, and there are a few companies out there that, that are trying very hard to, to kind of partner up with everybody or create their own, you know, store, if you will, of AI tools. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that's, a, I like that a lot. I, I think that's an interesting way to go. And it certainly is, you know, maximizes the opportunity to get it out there. And I, at the same time, there are, there are manufacturing, ultrasound manufacturers who are trying to create their own, you know, tools as well, which, which no doubt are quite possibly, you know, much more proprietary. You know, is there a, do you, do you see a future where, where this kind of, these solutions are, are literally just ubiquitous and available on like a, you know, to, to, you know, use the, the, the app store from, from mm-hmm. Apple or, or, or Android, uh, Google. Is that kind of how you see, you know, the future of distribution of this stuff? And you, you brought up such an interesting point. Let me start with pointing out something that mm-hmm. majority of what has been developed in the market of uh, AI for medical imaging is really focused on X-ray, MR, and CT. Mm-hmm. versus ultrasound. And, and what is right. the difference? The difference is that when you're dealing with CT, X-ray, and MR, the problem is what we call as post-processing. You mm-hmm. don't really need to intervene when the scan is being done. Where, um, whereas ultrasound is a handheld modality. So the power of AI is really guide the user when they are acquiring the scan. And what it means is that our AI has to be on the device and that therefore it has to be in partnership with the device manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So this makes uh, the case of ultrasound very, very different uh, than the case of MRCT and uh, X-ray. And that is probably why 90% or even more than that, whatever AI is being de- developed right now is focused on those modalities rather than ultrasound, because it's difficult to get to ultrasound space, mm-hmm. lack of access to data, and the fact that you can only and only succeed if you're working very closely with the device manufacturer. Mm. And coming back to the um, app store, for sure, this is this is definitely uh, how I see the future in this space, similar to what Apple, for example, has done. Mm-hmm. That uh, we will be ha- we will be having an app store on our devices, but it will be on ultrasound devices. It would not be on a third party, which is uh, not really uh, connected to a device manufacturer, right. ultrasound device manufacturer. And uh, yes, the, the users will have the liberty to decide which AI works best for their problems and their workflow. That, that sounds like a, a great future state, uh, especially for the healthcare space. For sure. And and just on the theme of future here, no no techno no technology focused podcast <laughs> worth its weight would not have a section where you'd make outlandish predictions that you know. 10 years from now, we can look back and say, wow, we were visionaries. Yeah. Or we'll just forget that we recorded this podcast at all. I can't tell you, a hint, the hint to the answer to this one 
is not flying cars. It's yeah. never flying cars. <laughs> That's never the right answer here. But I'm just curious, you know, seeing you've been in AI for, for a long time and uh, seeing where it's evolving. And we've talked about some of that today. It's kind of the near term state that we see in AI. But how do you see it evolving in the next five to 10 years with the evolution and impact on healthcare? Uh, I think I think it's really picking up steam right now with AI. And I'm just curious your thoughts. Where What are we going to see 10 years from now, Darnish? Um, I'm not going to say something outlandish to embarrass myself in 10 years from now, so I will be very conservative. And I know healthcare space historically have been rather conservative and slow when it comes to adopting. But Greg, as you pointed out, definitely the, it, is, it is rapidly changing, especially after COVID, because I think that was a good wake-up call for everyone that the way things are. It's not really very sustainable. One area of change that I am personally very excited about is around access to care. Currently, if the further away someone is from a main hospital, either geographically or socioeconomically, the, ch- the chances are that they have less access to good quality health care. I remember there was a time I used to do a scan in the University of Alberta hospitals, and we had patients flying in literally with helicopters to get an ultrasound scan. Imagine that. I think AI will make healthcare more equitable and for sure expedite the decentralization that has already started. Uh, And it will bring patient care to our communities and eventually even to our homes. And I think it will also truly transform the space by enabling early diagnosis and risk stratification when it comes to chronic diseases. So I'm super excited about, about the future. Can't wait. Excellent. Okay, so uh, I think what we'll do here, if it's all right with you, Donush, is just shift gears just one more time a little bit because we have a pretty, you know, obviously a pretty unique guest on the podcast today in terms of somebody who obviously knows the AI side, but also started a company. It's easy to say, you know, I've got an idea, but it's hard to make it happen. And, and you know, a lot of us, you know, you come from the world of academia originally, obviously, you know, did a lot of higher education and, and a lot of ideas come out of that. You know, I had some ideas too when I was going through that and I didn't do anything with it. I must be far too far lazier than you. But the point is that, um, you know, you started a company and it'd be interesting to get any, you know, kind of any insights or thoughts about how Meadow came to be. What was the process? What was your kind of impetus to create the company? Sure. Let me start with a bit of background. I'm a computer engineer by training, but everything really changed for me when I started my postdoctoral training in a hospital environment. I still remember the very first time I held an ultrasound probe in my hand and how blown away I was with that thing. Do you, Andy and Greg, do you remember a medical tricorder from the Star Trek universe? Of course. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it is almost felt exactly like that. I was right. just so blown away. A portable device that you can carry in your hand and look inside the human body in real time. But at the same time, I was watching how patients have to wait for weeks or drive in in the middle of winter for hours. Or as I was mentioning earlier, even flying in with uh, helicopters uh, from thousands of kilometers away just to get a simple ultrasound scan done. So yes, the devices could have been in our pockets and in our hands, but it was almost as if we needed to put a sonographer and a radiologist and a cardiologist in that pocket too. And this was around 2015, around the time that ImageNet Victory started the deep learning revolution and transformed the AI industry. So we first started with funding an international academic collaboration to work on deep learning for ultrasound. 
But after a while, we realized if this stays as research, it will remain in tertiary hospitals and will not really have the impact that we were hoping for. So with two other radiologists, we started contemplating the idea of turning this into a startup. And uh, I heard about an incubator uh, from one of my friends. And I joined that incubator. And with that, Meadow was started in 2018. And you you talked about an interesting point. Execution is the most important part. I would say the, that aha moment when you see the medical tricorder, it's just an idea. Idea right. is technically nothing more than an, in best case scenario, educated case. Yes, that something will create certain value if certain conditions are met. And I think only and only when there's market validation, you have users that are willing to pay, they're coming back, they're referring others. We can truly say there was value in that idea. So basically, as you mentioned, it is all about execution. And as they say, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. For me personally, that step was to join an incubator. For others, this might be different, but the most important part is to get started and to jump in. There you go. Mm -hmm. All you needed, Andy, was a step. You couldn't even have taken a step. You know, I'm going to buy you that book, Atomic Habits. You're gonna, we're going to we're going to work smith this today. Yeah, I think there's an incubator down the street here. We can get it. Can you think know. so? I'm inspired now. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Yeah. No, Only needs an idea. <laughs> this is the problem, right? This is the problem. Greg and Andy, we need you at Echo. So yeah. yeah. All right. All right. We need it. We need an idea and a market, yeah. right? <laughs> That's important. Right. That there's exactly. a market for the idea. Thornish, this has been really educative for Andy and I, and it's been a great podcast. I learned a lot. You know, somebody in your position, obviously, you've been able to accomplish a lot in the first part of your career here, and there's a long way to go still uh, on your journey. But it's always good to to pay it forward and to give that advice to new up and comers that are coming into the field, especially in med tech and in healthcare. I wonder if you could maybe share what's the most important learning that you had from founding the organization or even the journey to this point. Uh, I know it's you said you have to execute and you got to take that step forward. Mm-hmm. It sounds like networking and and uh, and like minded folks actually helped you along the way as well. Maybe maybe you could. Uh, Give some sage advice to... As a first-time entrepreneur, there's so many mistakes I've made and so many lessons to learn, so it's very difficult to pick. But if I absolutely have to pick one, uh, I would say the first one probably for me uh, would be on the importance of empathy in building Mm. and leading your team. And I um, building empathy into the culture obviously means a better workplace with members that are invested and motivated. But I think when it comes to building a product, it gets directly trans, uh, translated into a team that can more effectively or want to more effectively put themselves in the user shoes. And this eventually turns into a technology or product with a heart and soul, which is exactly what we need in the healthcare space. And that will result in a better experience for the users and obviously a better outcome for the company as well. So if I have to pick one, I think making sure you're leading your team with empathy was probably the biggest uh, lesson I took away from my time at Meadow. Excellent, and good advice for everybody. And uh, before we before we let you go here, Dornoush, what's your favorite restaurant in Edmonton? <laughs> um, 
I'll leave that to the next podcast if it's okay. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> guest who's ever declined yeah, to declined. answer, Greg. That's that, good. That's interesting. That might mean there are two. That could be. The <laughs> no, I don't want all of Edmonton out. Yeah, I'm going to be there in like a week. Watch out. They'll be waiting for you. It's airport. a province, Andy. It's a province. But <laughs> I excuse say, I your ignorance. ignorance. What did I say? A state. <laughs> the entire state. The entire state. Oh, the entire province will be <laughs> waiting go. at the airport for you <laughs> with right. uh, pitchforks and, and you know, torches. Anyway, you know, you'd think you'd think I know better, considering I'm in Canada right now. But uh, tread, tread lightly. Yeah, tread lightly. <laughs> Anyway. I'll say I want to see if I can negotiate a deal and get a paid advertisement. Oh, on wow. Hey, I love that. That's great. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. Excellent. Well, listen, Dordouche, thanks for joining us today. I know you're busy. Appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, seeing you at the office real soon. And Greg, Thank seeing you. you next week. You know? Yeah. yeah Can't wait too. to see you next week. Looking awesome. forward to that. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Darnoosh. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a good one. What an amazing conversation, eh, Greg? I, uh, I didn't hear anything about flying cars, but I think it's fair to say disappointing. Uh, we'll talk to Darnoosh <laughs> about that later. But one thing we could say for sure is that, uh, that AI certainly is, dis- is disruptive and going to continue to be, I think. Eh? In the meantime, uh, been a pleasure chatting again. Greg, thanks again to Darnoosh for taking some time with us. We will uh, catch you all next time around, assuming they let us back again. And uh, take it easy, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye.